Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Hi there, welcome to today's program and I have a very special friend who I met 50 years ago in Birmingham, England when he came to preach at my dad's little church. His name is George Verwa. He's one of my all-time favorite people and George, I want to welcome you to the program. It's good to be with you and it's it's always a privilege to be able to share. Well, George, we're doing this in Liverpool, England And uh, this is a place that's quite famous for a singing group called the Beatles. And I understand you've been staying here in Liverpool, close to where Paul McCartney used to live. Were you ever a Beatles fan? I don't know if I was a fan, but I felt their music was very relevant. And so I followed them, and there was good things, and there were heartbreaking things. But I I was also involved in helping... Uh, pioneer Christian contemporary music, people like Larry Norman. And when people, a lot of people were speaking against that, I spoke out in favor that, you know, let the, let the music flowers bloom. God is using it. And, and around the world, hundreds of thousands have come to Jesus through uh, the whole contemporary music movement, which combined with many other great things that God's doing. Well, it's interesting that um, this program originates at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa where the Jesus People Revolution began. Did you have any connections with Chuck Smith at all? I had a wonderful uh, time of fellowship with Chuck. Uh, of course, I've lived in Europe all these years and in India, so not so familiar with everything in the States. But I, uh, I've been very linked with that movement. I minister in their churches. In fact, I just ministered in their church in Stuttgart, in the center of the city, outstanding church, many hundreds there. And I did have a wonderful uh, hour of uh, fellowship with him. I wish I could have followed up on that, but not being in California, that uh, that wasn't possible. (laughs) Well, let's just go back to the early days of Operation Mobilization. How did it begin? And I also want you to share the incredible story of how you proposed to Drina, your wife, of many years. Well, that's two different stories, but it, it began very small. I came to Jesus in a Billy Graham meeting after a lady prayed for me. She prayed not only I'd become a Christian, she prayed I'd become a missionary, then sent me a gospel of John, which really impacted my life. I wasn't from a Christian home. My grandfather from the Netherlands actually was an atheist. And then Billy Graham came for one night to Madison Square Garden, and that's where God met me and saved me, and he sent me, I think, on the on the same night. So... First, I evangelized my high school. We saw many come to Christ in my town in New York City a bit. And soon I found myself, because my learning Spanish, and I heard that in Mexico many never even had the opportunity to have a Bible, where I knew in the States most people at least had a Bible. They might not be reading it. So three of us, uh, I recruited two others, and we went to Mexico that summer. And we saw that God could use short-term work that was unheard of in those days. 1957, we saw how we could bond with the young people who just were so amazed at us coming there. 
and also, of course, improve my Spanish. So every summer and Christmas I went back. But that caused me also to leave university, make a greater commitment to become a long-term missionary and go to a, a place known for training missionaries, Moody uh, Bible Institute in Chicago. As to uh, my wife, that's a bit of a complex story. But <laughs> as a baby Christian, I was really struggling. Uh, my big interest before I was a Christian really was girls and <laughs> business. Where does that fit in? And I made some mistakes uh, leading a girl to Christ and kissing her for the next uh, half an hour. No, <laughs> not really in the follow-up books. So God sort of convicted me that, though I wasn't jumping in bed with these girls, that I was really addicted to romance, probably linked with insecurity. Who, who knows all these things? But I went on a fast. No more kissing, no more dating, no more girls. Um, it was almost two years when I learned Spanish, went to Mexico. Then... I arrive at Moody Bible Institute, all these Christian girls. This is a new thing for me. I thought, well, you try to kiss one of those, you get King James Bible to the head. So I didn't touch any Moody girls, but I must have had at least six on my radar. And then I went to rent a Moody science film the day that changed my life. And the woman in charge of the films, uh, it was for me, love at first sight. I immediately said something stupid. Uh, for her, it was fright at first sight. But then she read in the school paper that I was a man of God. So she warmed up. I got her on a date. And I, uh, it was such a wonderful emotion, I tried to scare her away. So I said, look, probably nothing going to happen between you and me. But, you know, hint, hint, if you marry me, I'm going to be a missionary. You'll probably be eaten by cannibals in New Guinea. It's true. It's in the film of my life story. But God touched her heart and later. Uh, we got married and we went to Mexico and we've had 58 fantastic years together. <laughs> now, you're now living in Britain. You've lived in Britain now for many, many years. But before you came here, I understand you got into trouble in Russia. What happened there? I had no plan to work in Western Europe. My whole vision and the reason we were willing to birth a new mission agency, it was called Send the Light was because Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Turkey, these were our countries. Hardly anybody was there. Otherwise, I don't think we would have been born because I was linked with other missionaries, other agencies, because Moody exposes you to so much. And included in that was the Soviet Union. And I was living in Spain because that was semi-closed. We saw some phenomenal answers to prayer in Spain, which really boosted our faith. I launched a smuggling of Bibles expedition into Russia that summer. I was arrested by the KGB, accused <laughs> of being a spy. Eventually, I got out, and that's where I had this day of prayer where God gave me the vision to see Germans and British and French and Dutch, who not long before that were killing each other, including my wife's father. I, um, I got this name, Operation Mobilization, to see the young people of Europe mobilized, reaching Europe with the gospel, in love, we called it a revolution of love, and then having, hoping that would spill over into Turkey and those other nations. And of course, that's been happening for the last uh, half a century. Since then, about 200,000 people have served with OM, Britain being our, our strongest nation up until maybe some years ago, India became the biggest. And 25,000 British people have actually worked uh, with OM. So God was in it. And we were just the Lord's instruments to carry it forward. 
We're speaking with George Verwa, the founder of Operation Mobilization, who's wearing his very famous Atlas coat. <laughs> he is known around the world for wearing this. Tell us a little bit about the coat. How did that come about? I was at that famous Tacoa Falls Bible College where they once had that dam break and many people, some people lost their lives. And the head of the missions department, this is maybe 40 years ago, he had this jacket and oh, it just, it just grabbed me because I was always talking about the nations and, and somehow he, he gave it to me and then I got in touch with the agent and we became global agents for these jackets. We've gone through over 1,000 of them. <laughs> And it's just ideal for us meetings like tonight. I'm meeting in the church here. And I have my big globe and I have this jacket. <laughs> and I quote verses like Acts 1.8, When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the earth. And then you point out some of the countries. <coughs> I would learn quite a bit about your work in India from one of my friends, Johnny Miles, who was one of the early people that got involved, also from Peter Conlon, who is your, one of your very close friends. Yes. But India, um, did you get banned from India for a while? Yeah, but the work had already taken off and was able to continue without me. So I had been there about four years, usually half the year as I came back and got more recruits. We drove these old vehicles all the way from London to India. We crisscrossed India, reaching, really reaching hundreds of millions of people. Uh, when I was banned, there were still other leaders, and it, it's continued. I used to meet with my leaders in Nepal, and some of the leaders who are carrying the load today, they went through my uh, training course in Nepal, living with me, going through the Word, praying together, evangelizing in the streets of Nepal, that nation also. The church has exploded, so it's, it's an exciting story. It became so big and so many people came to Jesus under the leadership of Joseph D'Souza and his team that it became then a church movement and now has almost 4,000 uh, churches, 3,000 staff, but next to it is a huge literature work, a huge humanitarian work. There's 110 schools, so India has been the nation where we've seen really the greatest breakthroughs in connection with the vision God had given us to reach the multitudes with the gospel. Are things getting a bit difficult for Christians now in India? Yes, definitely this present government is, uh, is unusual. But there are some positive things. Bad news always travels quicker than good news. And for us, India is, is wide open. But it's more for Indians than it is for people coming in from overseas. There are opportunities for people from overseas, um, but they're, they're tightening that up and sending some people even back from the airport if they don't have the right uh, visa. My last four trips, as the door opened for me a decade ago, I always had a visa where I could uh, you know, legally, legally speak in the churches. So I, was, I had the right visa. I remember meeting you back in 1975, George, in Dhaka, Bangladesh. I had just interviewed Mother Teresa in Calcutta, then flown across to interview the Prime Minister of Bangladesh, who tragically got assassinated three weeks after I interviewed him. Um, I hope uh, that isn't uh, a foretaste of our interview. <laughs> but anyway, um, 
you were doing a little Bible study in Dhaka, and I remember walking in, and you were in the middle of it, and you suddenly said, Dan Wooding, what are you doing here? And then you carried on. Do you, do, do you still have a work in Bangladesh? Yes, you were there at the very birth of our work. It was born during the war when uh, East Pakistan became Bangladesh. We were hesitant to go there because we were growing so fast in India. But through Indian brothers and the refugees returning from India, and also a man named Phil Parshall, who was a missionary with another group, uh, Owen was born and continues to this day a very serious work, big emphasis on humanitarian, uh, but most of the workers are Muslim background people. So Bangladesh is one of the more positive uh, pictures of what God has done among people of Muslim uh, background. Very exciting. George, you settled in London all those years ago, and you seem to really have fitted in. I believe you even have a London bus pass, a free bus pass. Yeah. <laughs> um, why, why is it you've stayed here instead of going back to the States? Well, it's hard to understand God's ways. Like I said, it was never in the original plan. But when I wanted to mobilize so many people and I looked at Europe, I only spoke Spanish. Spain was still really in the grip of Franco. I knew if I want to see larger numbers, it's Britain has to be part of the heart together with Germany and other places. Plus some uh, people came from Britain and met me in Madrid and sent messages back to Britain. So I had an official invitation to speak at the network conference in Swanwick. And speaking there, when I arrived in 62 from Spain, it just took off. Soon I had invitations all over the country. Soon Oxford and Cambridge opened up, which really are two of the key birthplaces of OM. It was obvious that the Holy Spirit had prepared Britain for a major new launch into missions that would include short-term, even though our passion was always finding longer-term people. The Lord also knew that years later in a converted pub, because I lived here in the north for a while, in Bolton, Lancashire, he gave me this vision for the ship. And the Lord knew this is one of the leading ship-faring nations in the world. And Scotland's where I got my chief engineer. I had a British uh, captain, but he was led to become the director of the work in the UK. So <laughs> it was a Norwegian captain who sailed with our first ship. And we're now celebrating 48 years of ship ministry and reaching at least 100 million people uh, with the ship. Very much connected with God's providence of facing me here in the, uh, in the UK. Did you have a sort of a bit of a setback with one of the early ships? Yeah, the Lagos, after 18 years, we should have scrapped it. We got more than our money's worth, uh, but we lost it on a rock in the Beagle Channel because the pilot wanted to leave early and uh, we weren't ready for his departure. And very quickly in this difficult uh, channel, we were on that rock and lost Lagos. We didn't lose any lives. We lost a lot of literature. Uh, that, of course, gave us a lot of publicity here in the UK. And British people responded, and we soon had a much better, bigger ship, Lagos 2, to replace Lagos. We already had Dulas. We had two ships going at the same time. So it's an amazing story of God working through human failure. And I, I talk about that in my new book, Messiology, how God often can overrule our, our mistakes and, and our failures 
but it, I also have a chapter challenging people to make less mistakes, <laughs> to be common sense, street smart, and to realize no matter how spiritual you are, you're still a human being, and you need to somehow learn how to uh, survive on planet Earth. <laughs> Just tell us a bit more about the ship ministry. What, what exactly does it do? About 10 different ministries are based on the ship. Of course, all the people on the ship are going through a discipleship training program, which is what OM is known for. Even when people come for a summer, first they go through a training program. Many of them recommit their lives in our meetings, hundreds of thousands. So everybody on the ship is in training. Then volunteers come from the, the local port. They're all going through training as they work, as they serve. So it's on-the-job training in a very unique environment. And thousands of people will testify their year, a couple of years on the ship was one of the greatest experiences <clears throat> in their lives. But then there's the book exhibit. We're the largest floating book exhibit in the world. And because it's educational as well as Christian, people flock. We've just had a quarter of a million visitors in Mexico in two months. That's up the gangway. Plus, we have all kinds of programs on shore, concerts, film shows, uh, street evangelism, and then we have a coffee bar where we talk to people personally about Christ. Then we have all kinds of conferences, pastors' conferences, youth conferences. The new ship has its own built-in theater, so we're often uh, running theater productions. Lately, we've been doing uh, one of the Narnia series. And people are very well trained to put that on, and that theater is often packed. That's now, you talked about messiology and many of the messes that you've seen in OM. Um, do you ever wonder, worry with all this modern technology and you know, social media that Christians today seem to be spending more time arguing with each other over politics or theology than they are sharing Christ? I think that is a very sad phenomenon. I think many Christians, and it's true through all of history, if we study it, they lose their focus. They become politically focused or they become uh, you know, anti this, anti that. And then they get, there's a lot of heavy books that I really believe do a lot of harm, getting people very conspiracy oriented. You know, the Muslims are taking over and all this kind of thing. I think it's very sad that people lose their focus. And I praise the Lord. There are many exceptions and many churches where they realize their first focus should be the Lord. Swindoll's book, Grace Awakening, is probably the most, one of the most important books <clears throat> in the second half of OM's history uh, to distinguish between, between things that are your personal conviction and things that are really biblical. In my books, both Comfort Zone, Drops, and More Drops Called Messiology, you'll find Swindoll's Grace Awakening <laughs> running through those uh, books. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Out of all the experiences you've had and I believe you met Billy Graham and you met Brother Andrew and people like that who is the one Christian you've met that really excited you? I think it was Oswald J. Smith of course I'm privileged to meet many uh, wonderful Christians and even if they were very different from me I always by God's grace through this revolution of love that I deeply believe in I always loved them and appreciated them even though maybe I felt we weren't on the same page as far as working together. But Billy Graham, the most influential person in my life, he was also linked with Oswald J. Smith of People's Church Canada, who was the great mission leader in the last century. 
And he came to Moody when I was a student, but I was already reading his book. Probably the second or third most influential book in my life, The Challenge of Missions. And so meeting him and get to know him, I visited him in a nursing home before he went to heaven. I ended up speaking at People's Church of the many hundreds of amazing relationships. That was one of the most important. What's so amazing, George, is I emigrated to Canada back in 1960 and I was running away from the Lord, running away from my parents. But I used to go to the People's Church on Bloor Street in Toronto and this terrifying preacher with his long hair used to scare me to death and he was one of the reasons I eventually gave my life back to the Lord. So that's astonishing because I never actually talked to him face to face. Tell me about Brother Andrew. You've got this um, video with Andrew. Tell us about that. Well, we've been linked ever since we first met because whereas I was a bungler and got caught by the Soviets, he was the most successful uh, smuggler. smuggler of Christian literature. Now, O.M. became the biggest uh, so-called smugglers of literature in Eastern Europe and not Russia. And that, that story is now in a book. And I asked Dale Rotan, who went with me initially to Mexico and then responded to my challenge to go to Turkey. He, when he no longer could get in Turkey, became the leader of our work in Eastern Europe. And they did a phenomenal job. They just had a big reunion uh, last weekend there in Austria. So that's another whole <laughs> mega chapter in OM's uh, unusual history. Now, if someone's listening to this, George, and, you know, they're wondering what they can do with their lives, whether they're getting on a little bit now or whether they're younger, what would be your challenge to them and how can they get more information about joining OM? They could even email me personally. Uh, we never had that much response and so if they wanted to email me personally, george.berwer at om.org, I'll put them in touch with the office in their country. We have a tremendous ministry based in Atlanta in the USA. Our president, Andrew Scott, is actually Irish. Uh, he would love to hear from people. Of course, you can Google my name and come up with all kinds of information. You can Google our ship, Lagos Hope, all kinds of information. And we're very much out. We were one of the first mission agencies to go wholeheartedly into the use of computers, way back when others were just tiptoeing. We embraced that through some training from people from Taylor University who were experts and were our mentors in taking us into uh, computers. Well, we're doing this interview at uh, Cornerstone Church in Liverpool, and you're going to have your famous globe tonight, and you'll be challenging them. Just in a couple of minutes, what are you going to tell the people? Let me just say to people, especially my friends in in America, I'm still an American citizen and visit there many times a year. My son lives in Idaho. But God is doing much more in Britain than people realize. Again, negative news goes quickly. You hear of a mosque that may have been converted into a furniture shop. I mean, a church converted into a furniture shop. But we don't hear that ten more new churches were opened. 4,000 churches in London now. The church I was at this morning here in Liverpool, hundreds, including many young people, were there. Huge response to my message from Isaiah 6 to pray, here am I, send me, and be totally available. About 150 people uh, stood up. So I've been ministering over 50 years, and that's why I'm celebrating my birthday. People expected me to pull off a big event because I've always done big events, 50th, 75th. (laughs) But 
We had the big 60th anniversary of OM last year. We had enough big events. So I've launched 20 small events in 20 rail stations in Europe, mainly UK, but also Stuttgart and Paris. And hundreds of people have personally met me, stretched over eight hours in a day. So I've had many conversations, and it's been in a very exciting, exhilarating month. But all of those people are living testimonies to what God is doing here in Europe in the midst of all the complexity. And tomorrow, after we've recorded this, you'll be at Lime Street. And there's a very, very famous song by Rod Stewart called Maggie May. And uh, he talks about not going back to Lime Street anymore. So you'll be following in the footsteps of Rod Stewart. But you're probably not a singer, are you, George? No, but I love listening to Rod Stewart and some of his uh, fantastic songs. And I just believe uh, God is working here in Liverpool. Liverpool's tomorrow is my final station. And I'm actually soon headed to... uh, Idaho, I'm going to have two little 80th birthday celebrations in two coffee bars in uh, Nampa and Caldwell, Idaho, in case you're in that area. Let's get together. That's great. So again, if people are touched by the Ministry of Operation Mobilization and would like to know more information, give us again the uh, email and then you'll put them in touch with the right people. Yeah, it only takes me, you know, a minute plus. I try to pray over every email and it's George, my first name, dot Verwer, V-E-R-W-E-R, at O-M. It's, we're often called O-M. Yeah. Dot org. And so please pray for George. Please pray for Drina, his wonderful wife. And uh, pray that he will continue for many, many years to come. I don't know whether I'll be seeing him again in Bangladesh or places like this. But I want to thank George Vo especially for being my special guest on today's program. It's a privilege. And by the way, anyone who emails me, I would love to send them a free book or the film of my life story as, as a gift. And the name of the film? George for Real. And I can tell you it's a wonderful film. So don't forget again, George. George for Real. And my book is Messiology, my own word based on my proverb where two or three of the Lord's people are gathered together, sooner or later there's a mess. But messiology <laughs> is how God can work in the midst of the mess. George Verwa, thank you. Thank you, Dan. You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.